this week as well as last week, we have a word from one of the prophets and also a word from the Gospel of Luke, this time from the prophet Jeremiah uh, in the 23rd chapter, beginning with the 23rd verse. Am I a God nearby, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long? Will the hearts of the prophets ever turn back, those who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? They plan to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, just as their ancestors forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let the one who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer, that breaks a rock in pieces. And then a reading from Luke's Gospel, the 12th chapter, beginning at verse 49, the words of Jesus. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it's going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you you not know how to interpret the present time? Here ends the reading from God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your word and for gathering us to this place where we might come around it together. Not in our own places, around our dining room tables or in our living rooms, but here together in community where your word is meant to be read and discussed and traced out. Help us, God, as words are offered in this place to to come together around it to hear the truth that you have for us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The common image that Jeremiah and Luke have um, in these two passages is fire. And in a changing climate where the extremes of our weather are becoming that much more extreme, Uh, I don't know about you, but I have images ingrained in my mind of fire as a destructive force. Uh, Wild and uncontrollable and consuming whatever's in its path, 
Uh, I was thinking uh, as I read about the California wildfires from last year, more than 11,000 homes in 11 days consumed by that wildfire. Fire is big and it's scary and it's mysterious. And in biblical terms, lots of times we think of fire, we think of God's judgment, right? Maybe if you were raised in a certain tradition, you think of fire and you think of God's judgment. But in the Bible, fire is also a sign of God's presence. Uh, Exodus, the, the Exodus tells us that when the people of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, that, that by day there was a pillar of clouds uh, that, that God sent as a sign of God's presence so that they could travel by day in the direction they were called to go. And by night, there was a pillar of fire that allowed them to travel under the cover of darkness so that they could see the way forward. Fire was the sign of God's direction and God's faithfulness and God's presence with them in the midst of an uncertain place. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down and rests on the heads of the believers as in tongues of fire. The fire of the Spirit. Maybe a little bit like a miner's light or a torch. The Spirit rests on the heads of the believers and it lights up what they have not been able to see before about themselves, about the world that they live in. It illuminates what has only been darkness and shadows before so that they can see clearly what's around them and see themselves clearly and the world they live in clearly. So which kind of fires are these? The ones that Jeremiah and Luke are talking about. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and I wish it was already lit. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God says that the word is like fire, like a hammer that shatters a rock. Now, whether or not this is the fire that destroys or the fire that illuminates, whether it's the kind that burns or the kinds that refines and melts out impurities, we do not come to the word of God. We do not uh, drag ourselves to church. We do not come to Jesus himself looking for that kind of volatility, do we? We would prefer to have words of comfort, words of affirmation, words of hope. Tell us about the promise of new life. Tell us about God's abiding love for us. And do it with images of green pastures and still waters and gentle breezes. But these two prophets are employing a different image. It's an image that has intensity and it has seriousness and it has passion. It cannot be ignored and it cannot be taken lightly. You can't look away from fire from when it is burning. It's not safe. It is the urgency of the now. And so you could hear this pronouncement of Jesus when he says, I've come to bring fire to the earth as being the continuance of a thread that runs through all of Luke's gospel, a theme that is, that is here that weaves itself in and out of so many of the stories. In the very beginning, if you remember your Advent scriptures, uh, Mary sings her song uh, with Jesus in her belly, and she sings about what God has already done by putting this child in her belly, that God has lifted up the lowly sent the rich away empty, filled the hungry with good things. God has scattered the mighty with his hand. And Zechariah, who is John's father, John the Baptist's father, 
is in the temple and he receives the promise of a child that will be born, who will be the prophet, who will herald the way of the coming Messiah. And Zechariah cannot bring himself to believe this promise, and so he is struck silent in the temple and uh, has, is not able to speak again until the baby is born. And when he's finally able to speak, what he says first and foremost is that God is on the move. Something's happening. God has come to help and deliver God's people, Zechariah says. It's in both cases, it's the nearness, it's the immediacy. Mary talks about what God has already done. Zechariah says this is what God is doing. God is on the move. It is the nearness, the immediacy of God's promise. It's an abundant, just, and equitable way of life for all of God's creation. It's here now, right now. So by now, you get a few chapters later, we get to Luke 4. And by now you've heard me talk about Luke 4 and Jesus' first sermon about 5 million times. You've probably heard about 5 million more. Because it frames the agenda for the whole of Jesus' ministry. He goes uh, into his, his hometown and he unscrolls the temple and he announces what he has come to do. The agenda for the whole rest of this thing. I've come to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it frames the agenda for the whole of Jesus' ministry, but it also the, shapes the response of the people who are closest to him, which I'm going to get to in a second. Behold that in your mind. Earlier in Jeremiah, the prophet says that the word of God is like a fire shut up in my bones. And Jeremiah says, I am weary of holding it in. I cannot hold it anymore. There's urgency in the words of the prophet. It's a sense of now, a kind of passion about the agenda of God for setting things right, uh, for setting right that which is broken and that which is painful and that which is tragic and that which is violent and that which is unjust and that which is prideful and that which is oppressive, that all of that has to come out. It's got to come out now. Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth. I wish it was already lit. Can't light it soon enough. And what he came to... What he came to do, he says, basically, is it's like fire shut up in my bones. I cannot... Get it out fast enough. So the question still is, is it the good kind of fire that lights the way, that shows you where to go, that melts and shapes and molds? Or is it the kind of that burns up whatever's in its way? Yes, it's both. Because Jesus has come to root out that which has been holding down God's people. He's come to root out that which has made some people less than. He's come to root out that which has made some people the object of suffering. He's come to pull, pull back the curtain on things that have led to some folk being used up and abused by people in power. And he's come with a fire in his bones with the express purpose actually of lighting that fire in other people. With the urgency of now, just a few weeks ago we talked about uh, these people who come to Jesus and they want to be his followers and, and one of them says, I, I want to come but I have to go back and bury my father and Jesus said, let the dead, dead bury their, their dead. I got to go now. He says, well I want to go but I want to say goodbye to my family and he says, well nobody who looks, puts hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of the kingdom. We got to go now. 
This is a Jesus whose passion for God's purposes and love for God's people is burning white hot. There is not time to wait. There's not time to negotiate. There's not time to, to hope that change will come when this or that politician is elected or we get to this or that election year or when this or that law gets being passed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's the love of God's people right now today Amen. that you cannot hold in any longer because there's some people who cannot wait. Some folks who cannot wait. You think a child in an aluminum blanket in a cell with no soap and no dark to sleep in can wait for the love of God to be loose in the world? The thing is, not everybody can abide that kind of intensity. Because the first time that Jesus preached with that kind of intensity, the people in his own hometown, they knew Jesus from, 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 from here. They say, isn't that Joseph's boy? What's he doing talking like that? We knew him when he was a boy in, his temp in the temple. I remember when he was crawling around in here, when he had diapers on. I remember when he was in that awkward phase, when he was 13. You remember that? Ooh. And they run him to the edge of the cliff. Because the scope and the intensity of his ministry is beyond what's comfortable to them. They can't abide it. It's too much. And here in this passage... He prepares those who are hearing this invitation to discipleship for the kind of consequences that this commitment that he came to inspire will have in their lives. Households divided, not like the license plates with the different colleges, not like that. But houses divided because they've been swept up in the urgency of the ministry of Jesus. Because somebody in that household got swept up into working and living for the kingdom of God and it, didn't, it looked foreign to the people around them. It's the kind of conflict and the kind of angst that comes when one or the other of us takes up this some consuming commitment. You ever happen to have that happen to somebody in their life? They become oriented around something and you don't understand their passion and all of a sudden you feel like you don't know them anymore? Jesus said that's going to happen to you. Which I understand is not a word of comfort. But that's what Jesus is telling us. So you can take it up with him, I guess. <laughs> when I was at an intern, a seminary, an intern at, at Greenleaf Christian Church in Goldsboro, and Reverend Barber was my supervisor, I had a sort of spiritual growth spurt. The ministry of Jesus came into a sharper focus for me than it ever had before. I, I had been raised in the church, I'd been to every VBS and every mission trip and camp and pastor's class. And by this time, I was a year and a half deep into seminary and taking on all the debt that comes with answering a call to ministry. But I became a Christian in that season. My faith was formed in a way that it had not been formed before. The scriptures came alive in ways that I had never understood them uh, the ministry that I was witnessing in the church and in, in, in Reverend Barber's life was illuminating the ministry of Jesus for me. I was all of a sudden able to see Jesus in a different way, understand him with a different kind of clarity. And more importantly, the ministry of Jesus was helping me to see and understand the world that I lived in in a different way. See the radical nature of God's love and acceptance, the call of God for us to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. When I was 12 years old, bless my parents, I went from wearing a size 9 and a half to
to a size 12 in the span of about four months. I went from sharing shoes with my father, wearing a nine and a half, to a size 12 at age 12. To put it mildly, I was awkward. The same thing happened to me in that summer, but spiritually. The fire of the gospel was lit in me. I preached one Sunday, and you know, they recorded the sermons, and I sent the CD home to my family, and my aunt called me, and she said, we listened to it in the car, and your cousins swear that's not you. <laughs> and they were right. It wasn't me. Not the same one that had left. It was the most intense and spiritually alive time in my life, but it was also the loneliest time of my life. Because when I looked in the mirror, I didn't even recognize what I saw. So how could I expect the other people around me to know me and understand me and see me the way they had always seen me? I had a lot of long, difficult conversations with people that have known me my whole life, that were sure they knew me, that were sure this was just a phase, that were sure that, that uh, this was temporary, that felt like they could bring me back around to myself, and what they did not realize was that this was my new self. And so like a lot of other passages in, in the Bible, this passage came alive for me too. Households split apart. Relationships different. Discipleship is a consuming thing. It brings some things and some relationships into focus, begins to make sense of them. All of a sudden you have different relationships that make different sense in the light of the gospel, but it can make other relationships more difficult. Anybody had relationships get more difficult in the last few years? But it's that compelling. It's that urgent. The need for mercy and for justice and for healing and for equity, not someday on the horizon, but right now today because there are some folks who cannot wait. And I believe Jesus has them in mind when he says, I've come to set fire on the earth and I wish it was already lit. I believe that comes from a, a broken heart that is broken by what he sees but is also pouring out love for the folks in particular who have been made to doubt the depths of God's love for them, who have been otherized and marginalized because of who they are or because of where they're from, that Jesus cannot wait one more second to see the fire of, of the love that sets the world right be lit for them. And he came to light that fire in me and in you so that we won't be able to wait either. So however it might feel, the fire that Jesus is talking about, whether it feels intrusive or it feels scary or it feels uncontrollable, however it feels, what he's talking about is the fire of God's love. The desire deep down in your bones to see every person granted the kind of dignity and inclusion and security that comes with knowing that they are beloved by God. In other places, you know, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He uses that imagery that we really like. Shepherds know my voice, and they come in by the gate, and they rest in the pasture. But maybe Jesus is letting us know that it's going to take the fire of urgency 
for us to get there. Pope Francis said about this passage, he says, this fire is the fire that saves, the fire that changes the world, starting from the change of each person's heart. We cannot hold it any longer. 